yeah. <laughs> I think that's what they meant there at the time. And, um, as you look at, at First John, you've probably heard these things before where somebody said, hey, you know, what you need, all you need is faith. Right? All you need is faith. How many have heard that before? All you need is faith, right? Somebody uh, is in a wheelchair and they can't get out of a wheelchair. And so uh, the, the pastor, whoever it is, says, you know why you can't get out of your wheelchair? You don't have enough what? Faith. faith. Right? And, um, oh, you know somebody in your family that's, that's sick. All you need to do is have faith and God will heal that person. It's just it's all about you. If somebody's not walking with the Lord, you just need faith. Faith. So all you need is faith. I hear it all the time. What does it mean? What is faith? If somebody was to ask you. You know, it's, it's amazing that we, we, uh, we get this confused. Uh, many people mistake saving faith for these two things here. One of them is head knowledge. Just believing some historical facts about Jesus. That he came to the earth, that he died, he was buried, he rose again. Do you know the devil believes that too? And so, and trembles, yeah. Sometimes we think that faith is some kind of head knowledge, that we just need to understand some facts and shake our heads and we're saved and we're fine. I think a lot more people confuse faith with this temporal faith. This trusting God during some kind of crisis in the family. I'm going through something in my family. I trust God. I need to trust God. He'll help me. Something's going out in my finances. I trust God and, and he'll help me. Something's going out in my health. I trust God and he'll help me. And they think they're saved because they're trusting God for something temporal. That is a scary place to be. I've seen a lot of people say that. I saw one lady, she once, she told me, I said, how do you, what's your faith? She goes, well, you know, I believe that when I went to church, I had a, I had a tumor, something was going on. I trusted God, my tumor's gone, and now I have a relationship with God. Is that saving faith? <laughs> because the tumor may come, the tumor may go. And let me ask you this, do you think the devil is happy when he hears things like that? He's got people deceived. This temporal faith where they trust in God just for the temporal stuff on earth. Now, should we trust in God for some of these things? Yes. But that's not saving faith. That won't get us to heaven. And so it's not just this head knowledge. It's not just this positive thinking that I have to think. It's not just this trusting God in some kind of crisis in the family or crisis financially, crisis with the health. What is it? Well, look what Spurgeon says. This is amazing. Spurgeon says this. Look at any Greek lexicon you like. I like how he says that. And you will find that the word faith or believe does not merely mean to believe, but to trust, to confide in, to commit to, entrust with, and so forth. The very marrow of the meaning of faith is confidence in, and I love these last two words, reliance upon when we talk about biblical faith we're going to talk about reliance upon we have we we exercise faith all the time biblical faith maybe not upon you but biblical faith you go to a doctor the doctor takes your blood work and then he looks at the blood work 
You trust the doctor to tell you what kind of medication you need, what you need to do to get the blood work better. You trust the doctor. We trust banks, don't we? We put our money where? In a bank. When you go to the ATM machine, I'm here to tell you, you have faith. When you push those buttons, you have faith that the machine is going to start up and there's some money going to come out. That's faith. You're trusting in that. Now, some of you, you go there, you hit the buttons and nothing happens. Why? Because you don't have enough faith. No, I'm kidding around. You know? It's because you don't have enough finances. That has nothing to do with faith. But faith is reliance upon. It is commitment to. It is entrusting ourselves to what? Now, the object is very important. Let's look at verse 1 here. It says this. For whoever believes, present tense, we are believing now. It's not talking about what we believed in the past. It doesn't matter what we believed in the past. It matters what we believe today, what we believe now. We are believers now. We are believing now. We are trusting now in something. And he says, whoever believes. What's, what's important here is the very object of our faith. What are we believing? What are we relying on? Look at this verse. We are believing that what? Jesus is the Christ. It is the object of the faith that is important. Somebody just says you have faith. It doesn't matter anything if the object of the faith is wrong. I'll never forget when my brother was going to give a testimony in this group that he was in. And the lady got up there, the worship lady, and she's going to sing a song. And she said this. I can't believe it. She said this. It doesn't matter who you believe in as long as you just believe. Now let's worship. <laughs> oh, it does matter who you believe in. The object of your faith is important. We are relying, we are trusting in who? The person and the work of Jesus Christ. Look at this in verse 1. Jesus is the Christ. We've talked about it already. He is the Messiah. The Messiah with a mission. The anointed one who came to this earth, who died for our sins, was buried and rose again. We are putting our faith in a person and in his work. Look at this here in verse, verse 5. It says, he is the son of God. So when someone says, what is faith? True biblical faith is relying upon Jesus alone to be saved. And what he has done, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. We are trusting in a person. We are relying upon him. You say, what happens the moment we do that? Well, look, let's go verse 1 again. Let's look what happens. Whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ, watch what happens. He is what? Or she is Born again, I love that. New birth. New life. Sarah's sister just had a baby. Was it a boy or a girl? A girl. girl, Jeremina. I love it. <laughs> Did she name it Jeremina? Sylvie, but close. Close, okay, Sylvie. <laughs> you know, there's some things we don't think about when kids are born. You know, we think about a lot of things, but we don't think about this. We don't think about the kind of family they're born into. Some are born into really functional families. Some are born into really what? Dysfunctional families. And the kid doesn't choose that. You know, and, and we don't think of that. Another thing that we may not think too much about is that our kids, when they're born, they're going to maybe look a little bit like us. That's a little scary for some of us, huh? <laughs> That's why we marry beautiful wives to have beautiful children. 
or they're going to act a little bit like us. That's even scarier. Johnny looked just like me. He was born with red hair. He did. He had red hair. He looked nothing like me. But you don't think about that, the characteristics, and you don't think about the functional family that they're going to be in. But look at this. When we are born again, watch what we have. We have a heavenly father and we have a heavenly family. Watch this. Those who are born again, how do you know you're born again? How do you know that your trust is in Christ alone? How do you know that you're relying upon Christ alone to be saved? Here's what's going to come out of your life. He's going to mention it here in verses 1 to 5. There's going to be three things. They're, they're amazing things. When our faith is in Jesus alone and we're relying upon him and we have this new birth, we are born again. Here's what happens. We start to love. Love who? We love the Father. Let me tell you, there's a lot that we don't know about the Father before we're saved. But when we get saved, it's like, wow, what a God we have. And the more that we learn about our God, the more that we love him. The more he amazes us. I remember as a kid, I didn't know my dad much. But when he came back into my life at 13 and I started to know him more, I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. I love my father. When you get to know the father, the heavenly father, we get to love him. We love him. He's easy to love. He's amazing to love. To think that he would want us sinners who hated him, who didn't love him, but he sent his son, took the initiative, and loved us. Oh, it's easy to love him. Here's the problem. Look at this. We don't only have a heavenly father, we have a what? A heavenly family. And here's what happens. I got a brother. I lived this. Did you live this when you were a kid? You got in trouble? And what is your brother doing? <laughs> your brother ever do that to you? Yes. You're in trouble. <laughs> Or they would hug, hug your parent, hug the, hug the father, look at you. <laughs> Never had that. You probably had that more in your life, right? Or how many, how many had this? How anybody have a fight with their siblings? Anybody? How did your parents react? Stop it! Stop it! Stop, yes, there we go. Stop teasing. Stop playing around. Watch this. A lot of us, the first part, we're loving the Father. It's the second part that really messes us up, the loving the, the child born of Him. But we're going we're gonna to talk about this here more in a moment. He's mentioned it so many times, but here's what he's saying, is that nothing hurts the Father. I mean, nothing really displeases the Father than to see His children fighting. Look what, look what one person said here. Parents are exasperated, even disgusted, when they see their children fight and seem to hate one another. How must God feel when he sees his children fight among themselves? You ever thought about that? I mean, nothing upsets a parent than seeing their two kids not get along. Just get along. Sometimes we have the patience to say, okay, let's work through this. Other times we just say, stop it. Will you get along for crying out loud? And yet it's saying that when we love the Father, when we're born again, we're loving the Father, the Heavenly Father, and we're loving the family. That's going to be a fruit of true faith. We're going to love, we're going to love one another. Now watch this here. Look at, look at verse 2. By this we know that we're the children of God. It's impossible 
And we saw this already. It's impossible to love the children of God without loving the Father. It's impossible to love the Father without loving the children of God. The family relationship unites both loves. Now, how do I know I really love the children of God? Here it is. We love God and do what? Observe his commandments. And what is one of his commandments? Love your neighbor as your what? Now, let me tell you. Loving God is easy. You know why? He's never let me down. He's never let me down. He's never underappreciated me. He's never talked behind my back. He's never wished me harm. But guess what? There's been people in God's family that have. There's been people in God's family that let us down. There's been people in God's family that underappreciate. There's been people in God's family that talk behind our backs. There's been people in God's family that wish us harm. And the Bible says I need to love them. Now that seems too much. That's too hard. I give up. I'm done. I mean, I can, I can love him. That's amazing. I love him. I mean, look what he's done for me. But to love those who are backbiting and, and, and talking and doing things that, that don't please God, to love them, I just want to go to them and let God judge them. But watch what he says here. He says, by this we know we love the children of God. When we love God and observe his commandments. Look what he's saying here. Don't miss this. He's saying we don't love the family of God because they're lovable. We love the family of God because we love God. It starts with God. It has nothing to do with them. In fact, because we love God, we will love his family. He says, by this we know we love the children of God. When we love God, it starts with Him. And we observe His commandments. Now look at this. We make these excuses, but, but they're too hard to love. Or are they? Verse 3, look at this. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not what? Now look at this. This is an interesting word here. The word literally means heavy. It means too much. You ever given something and you're like, I can't do that. That's too much. That's, that's too much to ask. You ever feel that heaviness upon you when somebody gave you a task and you're thinking, there's no way I can do that. I'll never forget when they gave me this route in FedEx and they said, everybody in FedEx is going to have a late package and you're going to have a late package. So here's what you do. You're going to lie on your tracker and you're going to say you got stuck in an elevator. I said, I'm not going to lie. I'm a believer. I'm not going to. You will lie and you will say you got stuck in an elevator. I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get that package off in time. You won't believe me. No one has the heaviness. I'm running like crazy trying to get the packages off. It's 10. You have to 1030. It's 1028, 1027. And I get into the elevator and I'm going to deliver my last package. And guess what happens to me? I got stuck in the elevator. I really did get stuck in the elevator. We were going up. We went down. We went up in the elevator, down. The lady next to me jumped on the ground. We're all going to die. We're going to die. We go up. We go down. We're all scared. Finally, we hear a voice. Uh, anybody in that elevator? Yeah. We're in the elevator. We're stuck. Oh, I was just playing around with the elevator. I didn't know anyone was in there. 
Someone else almost died that day. We think it's so heavy. Now make no mistake, it's not easy. And that's not what the word is saying there, that, hey, just it's very easy for you to obey God. It's not easy. Here's what it's saying. God has a way of taking that burden off of us. Here's why. Because he'll never ask us to do something without giving us the power to do it. In fact, we have the Holy Spirit, praise God. We have Jesus himself who lives in us. And we have even the Father who lives in us. We have all the power we need to love. It's, it's not burdensome, he says here. Here's the thing. The wonderful thing about the Christian life, David Allen says, is that God's commands can be carried out because he places the Holy Spirit within us who gives us the motivation and the power to live out the commands of God. He'll never say, here's what you need to do. Now go do it and figure it out on yourself. No, he says, here's what you need to do, and I will give you the power to do it, but you have to depend upon me. And so here's what happens. Somebody gets saved. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. What happens the moment we get saved? All of a sudden, we start loving the Father. We're loving the family. It doesn't seem that burdensome. Why? Because God, the Holy Spirit, has helped us to do that. But here's what's amazing, what happens. I, I love this. We overcome, don't miss this, the world. Now watch this. For whatever is born of God, there's the new birth. Guess what happens? Overcomes what? The world. Now look at, look at that word overcome. It's in there three times actually in different verb forms. It's whoever is born of God overcomes. There it is the first time. This is the victory. That's the same word there. And then has overcome. There's the word again three times. You know what the word is? Nike. Interesting. Do you know who Nike was? Anybody? Michael Jordan, right? Amen. When did Nike start? Anybody know? What year it was? No, before that. Do you know how Nike started? I love this. From the Greek goddess, Nike who is the goddess of strength, of power, and watch this, and of victory. And somebody, Nike, the founder, I don't, I don't know the name, I forget, was, got inspired by this goddess and started Nike. Right? So it kind of blew this whole thing apart, right, when we think about that. But look at this in verse 4. Whoever is born of God, don't miss this, is victorious. Over what? The world. There's the enemy. What's the world? This horizontal living. The, the, the moral temptations of the world. We have this all the time. We face this. The moral temptations of the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The desires. The pride of life. We have that. These moral temptations that we fight all the time. What? The moment that we get saved. We're going to see it in a moment. We overcome the world. We, those moral temptations we don't have to live for anymore. Watch this. There's other things that happen in the world. The intellectual part of the world where they redefine words and they say different things about faith that are absolute heresy. Let me tell you something else about the world. The physical part of the world, too, where the persecutions come because of the world. Now, what happens? The moment someone is saved, they overcome the world. Now, how do we do that? Here's how we do it. 
I love this. Faith. Faith. What kind of faith? True, biblical, saving faith. The moment we put true, biblical, saving faith in Jesus Christ, we are victors over the world. Right there. You say, but wait, I still fight the world. Oh yeah, we're going to fight the world. But we win. We win because of the blood of Jesus. But let me tell you what faith helps us to see. And I, and I, and I love what, what Piper says here. Look at this. He says, faith sees that Jesus is better. That is why faith conquers the world. The world held us in bondage by the power of its desires. But now our eyes have been opened by the new birth to see the superior desirability of Jesus. What do we see by faith? We see that Jesus is so much better. Look at this. Jesus is better than the desires of the flesh. And Jesus is better than the desires of the eyes. And Jesus is better than the riches that strangle us with greed and pride. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we see, you know what? While, while the world has things to offer, Jesus has something better to offer. Yes, yes. You had to see the lady's face. You know, in Starbucks, they're taught to say these things. I don't know why they say them all the time. So what's you going to do today? You know why they ask you that question? Because they have to wait till the coffee's done. She got any great plans for today? What are you going to do today? You got anything planned for today? I looked at her and said, yeah, I'm a pastor. I get to preach today. Looked at me, oh, oh. <laughs> Conversations change real quick when you say those things, huh? She goes, oh, so what, what, what church do you go to? I said, yeah, I go to the church over there next to the high school there and in between Webster and all that. I said, you know what? I get to preach the greatest person in the world, Jesus. He's amazing. He's better than anything that anything this world has to offer. You see, the moment we put our faith in Christ, we realize, you know what? While this world offers these horizontal things that just come and go, Jesus offers eternity with him. We realize that, you know, these things that we try to live for, that all of a sudden we become so horizontal that we just, all these things just occupy our minds, our time, our energy. You know what? We realize Jesus is just so much better than that. He says, here's the victory. It's not the person that's the victory. The power is the faith. What kind of faith? Faith, true saving faith. Now watch. It says in verse 5, who is he, the one who overcomes the world? Here's the one that overcomes the world. But he who does what? Believes the true saving faith in what? In the person, the object, Jesus, that he is divine, that he is God, that he is our Savior, that he is our Lord. Listen to this guy. John, his name was John, born in New York. His dad was a shoemaker. <clears throat> Boy, he gave his parents a lot to worry about. Listen to this. On election day, 1844, he fell from a high set of stone steps in a hotel and tumbled down, fracturing his skull. It was uncertain if he would come to it. As he was unconscious a long time, he kept a broad scar as a lifetime souvenir of the incident. Eight, that wasn't enough. 1847, when his family was traveling by ship, a storm struck so powerfully that young John was thrown against the deck, breaking his leg. At 16, John 
brought down the curtain on a school play when, during a dramatic scene, he accidentally fell on an open double-edged knife, piercing his right lung. It goes on. Listen to this. There's so many other things that happened to John, but then it really hit him here. John, beginning in his late tears, he served as a late preacher of a Methodist church. For many years, he traveled through western New York State, preaching in churches. But that faith was severely tested in February of 1878, when his wife and two sons all died within a space of one week. He eventually remarried and kept going, given the illustration. Here's the illustration. That our faith in the promises of God and in our Lord Jesus Christ... Give us the overcoming victory. Oh, yes. <clears throat> you see, some people ask, well, why is the world so attractive? And why am I just living for the world? And why don't I really just start living for God? And, and here's the answer. Where's your faith? Do you have true, biblical, saving faith? Because the moment we put our trust in Christ, what happens? The world loses all that glamour and Jesus becomes sweet. And although we fight throughout the world, we'll love him more and more. Somebody says, but I want to know, Jeremy, how can I know that I have true, saving, biblical faith? Here's the, here's the question. When you stand before God and it's just you and him, no one else, and he asked you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I let you into my holy heaven? What are you going to say? The answer to that will determine where your soul is going. If we say, well, I'm trusting in my church service and I'm trusting in how good I've been. I'm trusting in this. I'm trusting in that. If we point to ourselves, we've missed it. But if we point to Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins was buried and rose again. And he is our savior. We have saving faith. See the question is. Is where are you going to point to. When you die. And the answer to that. Is where your faith really is. You see true saving faith. Is not this head knowledge. True saving faith. Is not this temporal stuff. True saving faith. Is putting our trust alone. In Christ alone. For our salvation. And the moment we do that. We're born of God. And we start loving and we obey and, and he's given us the power to obey and we have victory. We're overcoming what? The world. And so the question is, is where is your faith? <coughs> Do you have fruit bearing faith? If not, today's the day. Today's the day to put your trust alone in him. Today's the day to allow him to come and live inside of you and help you to obey his commandments. Today's the day to overcome the world. Today's the day for Nike, for victory in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we stand before you, God, you know where every heart is here today. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that they don't have true biblical saving faith that right now would be the time. 
And Lord, if, if they do, Lord, that they would understand that that produces something in us. That will produce a love for you and a love for your family. That will produce obedience to your commands, a moral commitment to you. We don't love you with our words. We love you with our lives. And it also will mean victory over this sin-cursed world. The priorities of the world. The passions of the world. The values, the views of the world. It means, Lord, we won't live for horizontal things. We'll live for what really counts. So God, I, I praise you that it doesn't depend upon us to have that victory. It depends upon you. In the moment we put our faith and dependence on Jesus Christ, everything changes. So Lord, help us to remember these truths and help us to bear the fruit of faith as we live in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing a song and then have the kids come back up.